never having expected to make it this far, welcome to the 10th anniversary episode, sort of, of Tandem Pod. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 384, I think, of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, uh, and I'm joined this week by my girlfriend's very squeaky office chair, which you probably just heard in the background, and she's now pulling faces at me for saying that. Um, and also by Andres. Hello, welcome. By Santi. Hi, guys. By Tony. Hello, everybody. And by my partner in crime for these last... 10 years, English down. Good evening once more for the, yeah, for the last 10 years. How old are you, Sydney? No, I'm going to be 34 in how many days? One, two, three, four, five. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. So, so it is uh, 10th anniversary. Didn't forgot and... to count. <laughs> I, so it's I have just enough fingers on my hands to, to get that far, yeah. But I remember when I first came to this pod, I was, I was but a young lad. I've really, you know, I've grown up with this pod, really. So many of us have. Incredible, mate. Also, every single year Dan mentions his birthday being two days after our anniversary. And every single year I completely forget. Um, so, yeah, our, our actual 10th anniversary is going to be on Saturday. And on Saturday, uh, those of you who are supporting us on Patreon... We'll be getting a very, very special episode of Hand the Pod Extra with a special mystery guest whose identity will be revealed on Patreon closer to the time. Um, but yeah, for everybody else and, uh, and indeed also for those on Patreon, thank you very much for supporting us for all this time. 10 years for an independent football podcast is far longer than we thought we were going to keep it going on for. Sorry, the... than we probably should have kept it going on for that, you know. Indeed, yeah. The cat is distracting me at the moment. She's trying to eat various bits of cable and play with them. Um, so my train of thought is is in danger of derailing. But anyway, let's get on with what's been going on since we last recorded, first of all. Um, the first things that, that has been going on since we last recorded is some Copa Sudamericana matches, which I told you about, I think, towards the end of the last episode, or right at the very end of the last episode, I should say. But just to go back over those, because I think I'm right in saying that all of the um, round of 32 has now been decided. Um, so those ties in terms of the Argentine matches, we mentioned all of the uh, away goals that put uh, Sao Paulo out in favour of Lanús um, and uh, Vélez and Peñarol's late drama in Montevideo, which saw Vélez go through. But just in case you couldn't be bothered to listen past the theme music last week, um, first of all, Union went through also on away goals, uh, beating Emelec 2-1 in Guayaquil to avenge their 1-0 home defeat in the first leg. And then Atletico Tucumán versus Independiente. Independiente spoiled the party somewhat by qualifying 
on aggregate rather than on, than on away goals. They got a 1-1 draw, which coupled with their 1-0 win in the first leg means that they go through a 2-1 on aggregate from the All-Argentine tie. And that means that in the last 16 of the Copa Sudamericana, uh, which kicks off in oh two weeks today, that's nice and easy because it's the 24th and today's the 10th, um, the fixtures are going to be Bahia of Brazil versus Union. These are all the first leg fixtures. So the, the home team, obviously, uh, that I'm reading out here are the, the home team in the first leg. Bahia versus Union. Vélez will play Deportivo Cali of Colombia. Bolívar of Bolivia will play Lanús. Phoenix of Uruguay will play Independiente. Uh, Coquimbo Unido of... Ooh, yikes. Of Chile, thank you, Andres. We'll play Sport Huancayo of Peru. Um, River Plate of Uruguay. I think that's not the Paraguayan one, is it? No, it is the Uruguayan one. We'll play Universidad Católica of Chile, by the look of that badge, assuming they've got the right one on this app. Um, Defensa y Justicia will play Vasco da Gama of Brazil. Atletico Junior of Colombia will play Unión La Calera of Chile. Um, oh, that's it. That is the last 16. The rest of these fixtures are the second legs of the same round. Um, so that's what we know of all of that stuff. And then in the Copa de la Liga Profesional, football, which is a hell of a mouthful. So I think we're just going to default from now on to just calling it the Copa de la Liga and accepting that you'll hopefully all know what we're talking about from this point onwards. Now we've had two rounds of it. The following results happened over the weekend. Patronato de Paraná 1, Huracán 2. Argentinos nil, Aldo Civi one, Banfield one, Godoy Cruz nil, San Lorenzo two, Estudiantes nil, River two, Rosario Central one, Arsenal de Sarandí one, Atlético Tucumán two, Gimnasia two, Vélez two, Unión two, Racing nil, Newells nil, Boca two, Independiente one, Colón one, Tacheres one, Lanús one, and Central Córdoba De Santiago del Estero, two. Defensa y Justicia, two. Um, plenty of draws in there this weekend. What stood out to, to you guys? Well, in my case, um, it is naturally the madness, the absolute madness of Sebastián Sosa. No doubt. Sorry, fill us in, Santi. What happened? Of course. <laughs> um, well, basically, Independiente did not play a good um, a good game. I think against uh, Colón on Monday. I think it goes to show the fact that they still rely too much on the most creative players, namely Pablo Hernández and Ander Roa. The moment they have a quiet game, the moment they are not 100% uh, into it is the moment Independiente begin to lose their track and um, they just become very, very ineffective and uh, very wasteful in possession as well. So this is to say that Independiente really struggled uh, for most of the game. In fact, they, um, they were 1-0 down quite early uh, through a corner kick. And uh, Goldmott scrambled and ended up with um, the ball crossing line two or three times. But, um, yeah, for the duration of the game, Independiente found it very, very hard to create chances. They kept uh, crossing the ball to just 
played barely anyone in the box until they until there finally was someone in the cross in in, in the in the in the way of a cross and in the 85th minute um an unmarked lucas rodriguez appeared to to head um, a, a very very neat header for for the equalizer and then came the well the moment i the moment i was talking about uh, in the beginning they are just leaving the drama for the end like most legendary teams and they considered a penalty um a very very debatable penalty i think because it was the result of a rebound from someone else's leg into uh, the hand, I think, of, if I'm not mistaken, maybe Adam Franco or Fabrizio Bustos. I can't remember who exactly. But they, it bounced in the hand. Um, it, it was quite debatable because you, we can't quite know exactly what's the, what's the level of, um, well, what's considered a penalty or what isn't. But... Um, it was uh, Oliveira against Sosa, and eventually, despite uh, a skip from Oliveira that has proved to be uh, effective in some cases, Sosa, in fact, saved the penalty and even went and risked his knee to save the rebound as well. So uh, it's another game in which uh, Sosa basically saved in the saved in a torrid independent performance and even revealed uh, some of his tactics to distract uh, his rival, for example, speaking to Luca Romero and pretending like Oliveira, uh, who was a former teammate of both at Vélez Sarsfield, uh, was actually known by Sosa, and Sosa knew where he would kick the ball. So basically, it was just his absolute madness and insanity that kept Independiente on their toes and um, rescued what was, uh, at the end of the day, a quite important point in, the, in terms of confidence, in terms of um, squad morale to go with the with the draw in the Sudamericana and the, um, and the win to go to the next phase. So I think uh, in the beginning they are still a long way from finding their best uh, their best way to play football. I think they still need a lot of uh, adjustments. I think the 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 PBS need some more confidence. Every time they stepped on the pitch, they showed uh, quite a lot of promise. But uh, yeah, I think um, they're. There are reasons to be cheerful for, for independent fans for the first time in a long, long time. Thanks, Dante. Yeah, that was the first of three draws um, on Monday night. The later ones were Tacheres against Lanús, where I think Lanús can be count themselves a little bit lucky in spite of the fact that it took Tacheres uh, until deep into stoppage time to equalise. Um, Carlos Alski scored from a rebound, if I remember rightly, after Tomas Pochettino had his penalty saved. Um, but really, Tacheres, especially the second half, they were just all over Lanús. It was um, a much less together sort of performance from Lanús than, than their opener had been against Boca in the first round, um, in which, of course, I think they, they also lost 2-1. But it, it was a much more... Uh, even game, I thought that one. Um, and then Central Cordoba versus Defensa y Justicia, which I switched the television on 28 minutes in um, and about five seconds after the fourth goal, which was scored by Christian Vega um, to make it 2-2 after Defensa y Justicia had gone 1-0 up, then pegged back to 1-1, then gone 2-1 up all in the first 10 minutes um, and were then pegged back to 2-2. And of course, then for the remaining hour and a bit that I was actually watching the game for, there were no goals. Uh, but it was 
pretty entertaining stuff. It, it was wild and open in a way that we're already getting used to seeing from Defensa y Justicia um, following their Copa Libertadores and now Copa Sudamericana matches since um, lockdown ended. And in fact, in the kind of way that we've been used to seeing from Defensa y Justicia before lockdown came in as well. Um, moving on to the big fives matches as we tend to round them up. Sorry, not moving on, but continuing with. I was forgetting Independiente standing there. Santi, I do apologise. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a bit used to this kind of disrespect. Sorry, <laughs> um, Sam, but the, you, you mentioned on, about the, the lockdown that it ended. Uh, and there was some curious things uh, about that because I think that there, there was people in the stadium for Union uh, watching against Racing. And also I think the, 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 the match you just mentioned between Central Cordoba and Defensa y Justicia. I, I, I think I watched people in the stands. Yeah, I have to admit, I, I assumed that the people in Central Cordoba against Defensa y Justicia were, were club staff or were the substitutes sitting in the stands or whatever. Um, but I'm not sure, because obviously both of the matches you've just mentioned took place in other provinces. Uh, but I was actually going to ask about, obviously, the, the big hand of pod classico of the weekend just gone, which was Union versus Racing, as we mentioned last week, with a supporter yeah. from each team um, in attendance for this recording. Uh, perhaps Tony knows something about the measures in Santa Fe. Tony, there, there wouldn't have been fans in watching Union, would there? No, no. I, uh, if I'm not completely wrong, I think there's people of the oh. hired by the club. They're not are part of the of the coaching staff or stuff like that. Just uh, you know, maybe the basketball team or something like that. No, not really fans per se. This guy is coming out of the sh- coming out of the sun to sleep the siesta, right? Probably. Yeah. Funny you should me- it. Funny you should mention that, Dan, because that was largely what Racing's defence looked like in the opening five minutes or so. Is there a game? I, I didn't hear about this. Um, if you say so, if you say Racing played, I believe you, but I don't have any evidence for this. Um, no. But tell the truth, Dan. The, the team went to. The, the team went to Twitter Dorado or what sort of be near the stadium and they doze off. Tell the truth. Yeah, I think basically whatever I said last week about um, Racing's performance against Atletico Tucumán, you can pretty much copy and paste that in because it was almost the same game. Racing created chances. Um, they missed a lot of chances. They made uh, Union's keeper, Moshano, look like I don't know, a god, um, when I'm sure next week he'll probably let in four against Arsenal or Atletico Tucumán, whoever they're playing. Um, and then at the other, other end, yeah, it was um, once again the tide parting for Moses every time Union got past the halfway line. No one felt the need to mark because why bother? I mean, it's November, Christmas is coming. I mean, what's the point? Just, you know, let Adios save all the chances and oh, I was given a rebound. Nah, just leave the rebound there. I'm sure nothing's going to happen. Oh shit, no goal. Um, yeah, inexplicable from Racing. So just uh, kind of apathetic at the back, not chasing their men. I mean, the first goal was another of those where Union had two or three bites of the cherry without any sort of kind of sort of intervention from a Racing defender before Kuki Marquez 
finally put it in. I think that's, um, if I got my numbers right, his 25th goal against Racing um, over his career because he's one of these guys along with Pepe Sand and a couple of other muertos that always managed to score, score against Racing. And then the second goal came up for a guy I've never even heard of. Um, I'm pretty sure Union just made him up to make Racing look bad. Was his name Mauro Luna Diale? Um, the second Oka made time, it up, to be honest. He's, he's a Loani, so... Yeah, fair enough. Um, the second goal in two weeks that uh, Racing has conceded a goal to a guy with the surname Luna, uh, which is fairly appropriate because their defence at the moment appears to actually be on the moon. Um, I think that's the best way to describe it. You know, credit to Union. They took their chances. Um, they really did take their chances. They only had three shots and goal. Managed to score two of them. Then he touched the ball about five times and still managed to create a hell of a lot of chances. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, Racing have got to do a lot better than that. I mean, they got the players to do better. Um, I mean, they're having horrible luck with injury. People are just dropping like flies every single game. You've got two or three players coming off injured, but it's no excuse, really. I mean, is there in the Copa Libertadores uh, that they can play well if they need to? Um, and probably the only con consolation at the moment is that you look over in Brazil and Flamingo, if anything, are doing even worse because for the second week running, they conceded four goals to Jorge Sampaoli's Atletico Mineiro, the fourth of which was scored by Matias Aracho, an ex-Racing player. We moved uh, this winter and I saw a couple of comments uh, along the lines of, can we count his goal, you know, to narrow the deficit a little bit against Union. So they're in a bit of a state as well. They just uh, announced their new coach today, Rocherio, Rocherio, I should say, Seni, the, uh, the famed goal-scoring goalkeeper. Uh, so essentially both of those teams are going to go into their Libertadores game after the international break in shit form. Um, and so that could make it interesting. Tony, by contrast, Union have had a great time since we last recorded. Oh, yeah. Not, uh, not, not necessarily since we last the... went on round, uh, since we last uh, right. went online, because the, the last episode went up after their Sudamericana win, but um, it was recorded before it. But fill us in on, on both of those matches. Oh yeah, I mean, I was I was saying that uh, I think it was on the on the extra episode that the the game was starting around ten minutes in, something like that. And I do agree with Dan that Rosny should have done better, but I think it's it's kind of one team going uh, prioritizing something, which is the Libertadores, knowing that Flamengo is not doing well, and on the other hand, you have a team that basically uh, learn as much as uh, it can to, to play like Atletico Tucumán did. Um, and also was on a high after winning for the first time uh, outside Argentina. And I think that mentally that helps you to, to go and face a team like Racing that even if it's not the best Racing maybe the last two years probably, but it's still a very good team. And and make you believe that you can win, even if if it's the 
the reserve team, actually, of Union. That's why Luna Diale was playing, Alessandro was playing, uh, Nardoni, Senon, Xerameta. Um, uh, so I, th- I think that it was one team going a little bit down after the defeat uh, against Atletico Tucumán and committing the same mistakes. And another team on a high after having a, maybe the most important win in the recent history uh, since, I don't know, uh, the game that qualified uh, uh, the team for the first time to Sudamericana or even the game in the 89 when uh, set Colón to, to the Nacional B. Um, so taking that in, into, into perspective, I think Union executed a plan really well got a little bit of lucky. Um, Oshana is still saving our, our asses, like all the games. Um, and part of the defensive plan is, is that, just let Moshana be awesome each each game. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that the victory was deserved because Racing in the, in the, in the second half didn't do much. Uh, tried to react after the first goal, had a couple of chances, but in, in the second half, uh, Union... Got the, the 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 game, especially after the second goal, manage and and just uh, try to get the minutes by as quickly as possible. And think yeah, of Bahia, which is going to be super tough. Shit. Sorry, they were total shit in the second. No, no worries. Half. I was just about to add that already, uh, Bahia will yeah, be already, super tough. I'm already in trying to. I'm already trying to forget the game, so I've, I forgot about that detail. Yeah, uh, that's okay. um. That that result combined with Atletico Tucumán beating Arsenal means that after two matches, I said last week that we weren't going to run through the, the standings after one game, but after two, we're now starting to get a sense of how the groups are developing. Uh, after two matches, Atletico Tucumán top group one, Union a second with four points, Arsenal have one, and Racing um, are currently bottom with zero. But I think I am right in saying that they're about to go into two back-to-back matches against Arsenal. They're, they're at home this weekend against Arsenal. And then, I think, let me just check. Oh, no, they're not. So it's not back-to-back. It, it isn't uh, ABC, CBA, as I thought it was, uh, so to speak, in the fixture list. But anyway, um, Racing will have to be optimistic, at least, of picking up some points against Arsenal, you would think. This weekend they're playing? Yeah. We've had this conversation on WhatsApp, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Well, according to... Well, you keep sending loads of messages on WhatsApp. I can't read them all. According to the score app I've got, there are matches taking place on Friday the 13th, Saturday the 14th, Sunday the 15th, and Monday the 16th. Which is this weekend. Um, Missing our keeper, missing, I think, Mena. I don't know if Mena's with Chile. Rojas is going to be in Paraguay. Out of order. Discrimination against those of us lucky yeah. enough to have oh, international I, class players. I, I didn't see him in the in the in the list for for the qualifiers. Oh, I saw no, Before we move on to the detriment of Daniel, I want to tell 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 him that Racing was the second best passer of the weekend with River. The second best for what, what? I don't know passer passing ah. accuracy alongside River. I don't know for what. But there you go. He needs passing. It's a nice segue into talking about Rivers' game, though. Um, Andres was rather disappointed with them against Banfield in the first week, you might remember. They lost 3-1 at home, in inverted commas, to Independiente, uh, to Banfield, sorry, in Independiente Stadium. Um, They got a 2-1 win over Rosario Central this weekend, just gone. And that was much more impressive, Andres, No. 
Yes, I would say that uh, the Estadio Libertadores de America isn't being played very well foot, with football because uh, it was a bit, bit better, but not uh, a lot. And you could pretend to improve a lot from a match to another one. You, your very best man in defense is not anymore. Like, well, Martinez Cuarta, we have been mentioning this, but it is repeated because uh, uh, Gallardo chose Paulo Diaz, the Chilean, Chilean uh, uh, to replace him, and he's still not uh, uh, taking that responsibility very seriously, or at least it appears like that. Um, I, I was, uh, I, I bet before uh, Martinez Cuarta left that he will choose Robert Rojas instead. But well, uh, he and, and he appears to be sticking with him as he wants for Pablo Diaz the same thing that happened with, for example, Piti Martinez or De La Cruz uh, or Milton Casco, uh, players that were quite resisted or weren't very, uh, well, uh, the supporters didn't like them very much, and at the end, uh, they accepted uh, he accepted them, and also uh, uh, finally uh, ended playing very well. Well, uh, at least for these two matches, it, it doesn't look like that. But um, uh, overall, it looked like River didn't control the match. In fact, when Rosario Central uh, uh, was with ten men because Joaquin Lasso was was uh, sent off. Uh, even uh, after that, River didn't control the game, uh, and Rosario Central uh, uh, got the the the, the one-two through a penalty. So in in the very end, so uh, 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 the River is suffering too too much in defense and aren't uh, 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 pressing too high like they, they used to do uh, some time ago, and that's something, of course, that is uh, I am worried about because. Uh, when with two or three players are, are that are missing, in, in this case it was also Nacho Fernandez as he's injured. Um, the one who replaced him was Santiago Sosa, a kid who is not a natural uh, mixed uh, midfielder. He's more a defensive midfielder, but well, Gallardo uh, uh, tried to work with him to to replace uh, Nacho Fernandez, and against Liga de Quito for Copa Libertadores he could. Uh, uh, do great, great, uh, great match, but in this case, uh, it looks like he he's not uh, made for that position. But uh, well, uh, finally River could win, but uh, not playing very well, and uh, they will have to improve a lot, especially in 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 their back. Uh, uh, then, well, there was this uh, uh, news which was also Prato scoring after I think one year and more than one year and a half at least for local competitions. So that's something that uh, will be repeated, I think, uh, this weekend against Code Cruz, as uh, Santos Juarez was confirmed uh, as a positive of coronavirus. So, of course, he will have to be two weeks uh, isolated. Um, uh, so, well, at least Prato scored a goal that I think any, uh, any player would like to score with no goal. A no goalkeeper and uh, just in the line, so uh, that's the positive thing, uh, perhaps uh, that Prato could score and uh, River won, but not uh, a lot of more things to to rescue. Yeah, I was going to mention Rafael Santos Borres uh, COVID test uh, because you you mentioned that the, the pressing line from River was 
nowhere near as high as, as uh, Gasharado likes it to be normally. And I think that's probably linked when you've got, there goes the nightmare again, when you've got Lucas Prato um, up front as your, your main centre forward rather than Santos Borre, who's, who's a very, well, by this continent standard, a superb pressing forward and really leads the line in that respect. It does make a big difference to how the team play. But I, I, I do agree, I, the approach play I thought was much better than against Banfield, but at the back, there's still work to be done. Uh, to adjust to life after Lucas Martinez Cuarta. The remaining two of Argentina's big five, unfortunately we don't have any supporters of either of them on here, but we can still give some thoughts. San Lorenzo got a 2-0 win at home to Estudiantes. I was expecting this one to be entirely uneventful and rather dull, given what both of these teams' first round matches um, had, had been like. Uh, but Mariano Peralta Bauer um, and Angel Romero scored one in each half um, to give San Lorenzo a, res- a, a win that I thought, by and large, was deserved. Albeit, it could have been very different if anybody on a Estudiantes team had been capable of so much as getting a shot on target. They had 11 attempts and not one of them was heading underneath the crossbar and between the posts. Um, did anybody else watch this one? I watch a bit, the second half especially. Uh, um, but I, I, th- I think, I do, I do agree that Stiantes had enough shots maybe to be on target, <laughs> like you said, but I also ne- never had the feeling that San Lorenzo lost control of the game. Um, uh, and it, especially, I mean, Mauricio They Guzman, had many, many chances. It, Mauricio Guzman just having a really stupid, like, 10 or 15 minutes where he got himself booked twice about midway through the second half. Yeah. And then immediately after he was sent off yeah. was, was Angel Romero's uh, goal to put San Lorenzo 2-0 up. It was just at arm's length from that point yeah. on. Yeah, and the free kick was the, not only the, the maybe the last uh, nail in the coffin for, for that game, but also it, it should be like demoralizing to get the red card in a, such, such a good strike. I mean, you don't really react as students just sit back and try to defend and try not to concede more goals, threats, and then attack. Um, so I think Sarenso went really fair winners uh, on that one after a pallet display last week. Yeah, one, one thing I also noticed was that um, shortly after that goal for 2 0, uh, San Lorenzo against Estudiantes sent Alex Sabella on. Alexis Sabella, anyway, who I'm pretty sure is no relation. Um, but uh, an easy name to remember, let's say, <laughs> for the future. Um, and the other, of course, member of the Big Five who we haven't talked about yet are Boca, who got their second straight victory. And much like the first one against Lanús, this was against a team who seemed fairly reasonably well organised themselves, but didn't offer too much going forward. And Boca just did a very, very good job. Carlos Tevez, I think. Uh, none of us really talked about uh, players who we were afraid might come back from lockdown, having enjoyed time away from the pitch a bit too much. Um, but I guess if we had done, Carlos Tevez might have been near the, the top of, of the group of players who might come back weighing several kilos more than they went in. Um, but as it happens, it seems to have done him really a, a lot of good because uh, he's been superb in both of the, the Copa de la Liga matches that we've seen so far. Um, he did play a lot of golf. That's true. So maybe that helps. 
Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it being yeah, popping up every safe, couple of weeks, breaking breaking lockdown to to get a couple of rounds in. Mm. So, you know, you can see the results. Indeed, you can. Yeah, <laughs> took the opportunity to get some rest and relaxation. Um, he's, he's been a yeah, little bit subdued in the Libertadores, but at, at, at local level, I mean, he's arguably the player of the Copa so far. Admittedly, two matches in, that doesn't really mean an awful lot. And the, the remarkable thing about this is that uh, he he's, he admitted that he had some personal problems. I think his father is uh, is ill, and uh, uh, in fact, he was. I don't know if he's still, but uh, he he suffered from from coronavirus, and he had a very, uh, not a very good general uh, situation. And and when he's this problem, he has this problem. He's the the, be, the best way he's he's playing. Uh, uh, he, of, of course, he can't. He doesn't uh, carry that problem to the pitch, and it's incredibly playing. I, I don't know if he's playing better than uh, three or four years ago, but he's at, at a very, very good level. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Probably the worst news for Boca in that one was that Eduardo Salvio had to be taken off injured. Um, does anyone know anything about what that was? Because I have to admit, I forgot to check before we started recording. His tear in his skiotibial. I don't know how to how to say it. Like, Hamstring. So uh, yes. right. So that he, he might be out for some time in that case. Um, three, the, they say three weeks, and they are hope. Of course, Boca hopes he's okay. He's uh, recovered for the first leg of the uh, round of sixteen of Copa Libertadores, but uh, it's difficult for him. Thanks, Andres. Um, other outstanding. Matches. Did anybody catch Gimnasia versus Belis? I was just going to mention this game. I only saw the last couple of minutes where where Velez got a late equaliser with a lovely little training ground free kick. Very much enjoyed it. Uh, scored by a young sir, of course, Lucas Orellano. Uh, I was going to mention this game because, by the looks of it, it is going to be the last professional game we will ever see Fernando Gago take, um, playing a part in because today, according to pretty much universal reports, he told his teammates in training that he's had enough. He's, um, he's retiring, retiring from football with immediate effect, which it's a big shame to be honest. Like, you know, I know we've all, we've all had our fun with, um, with jokes about Gago's, Gago's uh, horrendous misfortune with injuries, but he's definitely, you know, like, you can see one of the most talented, just most technical players around in Argentina when he's fit, which has sadly been very, very rare over the last few years. He's a delight to watch, and and I think we're going to miss him. I'm, you know, I'm rather sad to to hear that news today. Yeah, he was yeah. he was subbed at half time, um, or, no, or very early in the second half. Of course, sorry, yes, I was getting that mixed up, but he didn't play the full 90. Um, so, interesting. I wonder whether they already knew about this before uh, making that. I wanted to give him one last appearance. I don't know. I saw in that game he went down extremely um, nastily like towards the, towards the end um, in kind of that classic Gaga fashion when everyone's thinking, oh, shit, this is the Achilles, this is the Cruciates, isn't it? Mm. Um, but he seemed all right. Um, and he carried on playing. Um, yeah, I, I would have been. I'd be surprised if that hasn't 
if this hasn't been on his mind for, for quite some time, I think it was only in January, right? Where he last did his cruciates. And of course, thanks to COVID, we didn't notice it. We didn't notice his absence that much because no one's been playing. Um, but yeah, I think he gets to the point where the guy's 34. He's had at least five major injuries and, and think enough, enough's enough if he, if he wants to, you know, be able to walk beyond the age of 40. Uh, it probably makes sense to, to knock it on the head now. Indeed. Uh, Santi, you've got something to uh, discuss. Yeah. Uh, well, first, um, I, I'd like to like um, acknowledge the fact that I really appreciate the fact that Gao, um, well could retire in his own terms and not let the sport retire him in the sense that he, this is his choice. Um, he, if he could, he could still... I think finish the season perhaps, but um, I mean he's just decided it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be worth it to just keep um, forcing himself and uh, risk um, the spot retiring himself as he as I said before. But yeah, um, all the best for his for his future, and I hope he he can carry on his knowledge of football into management. I think he would he would make a very good manager if he could, but. Uh, but yeah, I think um, another key, I think, element of discussion in this uh, match week was uh, the fact that Sebastian Villa, uh, alongside some other uh, players in other clubs who have been accused of um, well domestic violence and um, especially violence towards uh, girlfriends, the girlfriends uh, such as um, Johan Carbonero from Manfield. Um, have been Misha uh, has been allowed to play for the first time in about seven or eight months ever since his uh, well his case was made public, and there was a very big debate around the fact that the sorry I said Johan Carbonero was from Banfield before he was from Gimnasia sorry but um, going back going back to where I was talking um, it it during, sparked this big debate on the fact that. Um, it seems like everything he's done has been forgiven and forgotten. And the fact that uh, Amial won uh, the, the book elections to be chairman on a platform of this kind of reforms and um, creating a commission, uh, sub-commission for women and, um, well, trying to c- capacitate, I think, to, to, to make, to, to set up some courses to, to become more aware about um, domestic violence and this kind of stuff. And the fact that Sebastian Bija is still being rewarded with starts and with minutes, despite everything he has done and the fact that uh, the case is not closed yet, it has uh, sparked a lot of questions about um, Bocas and Gimnasias and Argentine football in general and their integrity and their real commitment to, to fight uh, the good fight in this case, I think. It's a sticky one, I think. Uh, I agree, you know, obviously, if someone's under investigation for, for charges of uh, which are so serious, so, um, so grave, um, there, should be, there should be measures taken. I think the, the big problem uh, in this case is we all know that the Argentine justice system um, goes across as a, at a snail-like pace. I mean, these are charges which were what they were brought on back in, in March, in April, right? Right at the start of the, the lockdown. We're talking about seven months later and 
and there's been absolutely no progress at all. And, you know, I'm not a legal expert, but that's the impression I get. And so you're in a situation where obviously one always wants to, to err on the side of the alleged victim. And you think if this guy's, you know, violent um, and guilty of domestic violence, obviously he has no place in football. Um, but then what do you do? You, you're in a situation where this could end up in court, you know, as late as next year or, or in a year or so. And, and these are guys, you know, who have careers. And there's also, you know, in every trial, you, you do have the presumption of innocence. Um, another guy I think Santi was groping for, but, but, but didn't quite get there, was uh, Jonathan Cristaldo. Uh, in Racing, who's also been facing yes, um, yes, yes, he's also been facing domestic violence charges from either the end of last year or the very, very start of this one. Um, so it's it's a dilemma for clubs because uh, until obviously the charges are proven in a court of law, they can't take official disciplinary action like termination of contracts um, because in the eyes of the law, these guys haven't done anything wrong, so they have to keep them in their squads and there's obviously huge pressure to, to not play them until, until the, whole, um, the whole process is played out and, um, and the sentence is handed down. Uh, but we all know that takes years and, and a professional footballer's career is short. Um, you don't know if in a situation they're found innocent, if by, you know, by um, restricting their... their their opportunities to play or to you know to pursue their trade, you could be open to a lawsuit, a lawsuit, or I don't know what. Um, it's a dilemma I wouldn't want to be in, you know, as a club. I think the least you could do, you know, is not sign Visha or another guy uh, uh, who's got these charges um, laying over their head. But and especially don't do what the Colombia coach Carlos Queiroz has done, which is basically call him up for. Colombia and say, oh, what am I going to do? I'm a football coach. I'm not a lawyer or, or some words to that effect. Um, I think that's deplorable when there's no obligation at all to, to pick this guy when, you know, you have 40 million Colombians to choose from. Um, but it's very difficult and it's, it's something, you know, I think which is, which is easy to impose. You know, this guy's separated from the squad. He's not going to be playing for us at all, you know, when process is only two months old but when it keeps dragging on and on and on perhaps you know that's uh it gets harder and harder to um to kind of maintain that that stance right i think it's also worth a, pointing a, a, a out advocate. That, that, that this also has has knock-on implications for just the wider debate around this area as well though. i mean the fact is it should be a lot quicker for justice to be served in cases like oh this. absolutely yeah i mean that <laughs> is the key I mean, it's not up to football clubs to impart justice. I think we can all agree on that. I mean, it's the courts that has to do it. And if he's, you know, beating his girlfriend, beating his wife, he should be punished with the full extent of the law. And, and that includes and, and, stopping his livelihood. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I mean, club, clubs can take it more seriously. The f- football clubs we all know are institutions which are very heavily male-dominated. Oh, of course, of course. Um, and that certainly doesn't help things. But it also doesn't help things that a lot of the media sometimes like to try and sort of treat it as, as, as something else or as somehow not Argentina's problem in some way. I mean, I remember a year or two back when there were 
was it Visha and a couple of other players that all happened to be at Boca as well? Frank Fabra and, and somebody else were accused of um, uh, uh, yes. behaviour right? yeah. while, while they were on international duty or on holiday or something back home in Colombia. And it happened that the three of them were all Colombian. Um, mm-hmm. And so you saw stuff in, in the Argentine papers about how, oh, you know, these Colombian footballers like to mishandle or mistreat women. And it's like, well, you're saying that's not a problem that Argentine men also like, you know, as if the Nunca Mass marches never happened down here or anything, or indeed were yeah. not born. Anyway. It's, it's weird because, I mean, it's not even the first case of, uh, of Argentines, like Argentine footballers in Boca, uh, being accused of domestic violence, there were there were the the very high profile cases, for example, of Ricardo Centurion, and um, there was a, the the moment in which um, Agustin Rossi was uh, about to leave to Minnesota United, but um, the move was called off because the fans were very vocal against um, well him and his allegations of uh, domestic violence as well, but still they signed Emmanuel Reynoso, who is another Boca player who has been accused of domestic violence as well. So it's, it's a very slippery slope and there's just way too many examples to, to mention. And it's, it's a shame because it's, um, it's, I think it's, it attests just how, uh, how difficult it is to, for, for the truth to come out as well, you know, for, for not just justice to be served. It's, it's like these things are just, um, it's a matter of, People just waiting until they they switch onto something else, and they were and they're just stored, and people just f- forget about them, and everything just goes goes along as normal. Yeah, exactly. And and Luca Luca Viatri was also uh, uh, accused of stealing. Is that right? Uh, time some time ago, not right now. I think he went to prison. I like that was. Oh. I think he was tried and, and sentenced for that. He robbed yep. the hairdressers and yep. he made a he, lot of jokes about it. But I it. think he was, he was he for something else. Hand of I think he was for, for a robbery. Yeah, he robbed the hairdressers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, if, I, if I can I can put my, a little bit of my uh, opinion here. I do not agree in part with um, some of the ideas. Uh, not only... Um, I mean... <clears throat> I, I think that the players don't have to play. Um, I think they're contracted to train. And if they're training, I think that's all right. I don't think they have to, to have to play. Uh, but I am putting, pointing and, and naming the, the names of the, of the players and trying to be in retrospect. And I think it's good for a podcast perspective because we are trying to, to see how deep is the problem. But also showing that you're not either rewarded not only by the law or um, trying to look the other way uh, is good for, for younger people. Uh, that if you do something like that and, and you ended up playing anyway, uh, even if the justice say something about it or not or make a decision or not, uh, it also show you that if you are a footballer, you can kind of bend the law. And it's been part of the problem for many people that ended up in drug problems or alcohol problems because they are too protected or they are too uh, self-absorbed in their own kind of reality. And when this kind of stuff happens, it's when you, you know that people with at least some kind of or, or degree of power can do this. 
they're trying to avoid the repercussions and the responsibilities of their actions. Um, in the in the long term, I, I think that the only one that's going to lose is Boca, uh, in this case in particular, mostly because I think that Bishop playing was uh, something obvious after what Marcelo Delgado said, after what Jorge Bermudez said. They had seven months to try to find a new place for him to play, even if it's on loan in Colombia, but they didn't. He was almost transferred to Atletico Mineiro, but it, that uh, went down. Um, I think they had time to, to solve the, 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 the issue in some way that maybe doesn't taint them, but I think at this point, uh, the, the Amiral um, administry, it's not doing really well. I think the only one it's doing all right is Riquelme, both because he's a fan favorite, both also because he's silent about it, which I, I don't know if say if I, I, I don't know if I want to say it surprised me, or I want to say it's clever for him not to say anything because either Delgado, Cassini, Bermudez, or Amiral have been tainted by this situation, trying to be vocal about it and, and do interviews and, and stuff like this. And the only one that didn't is Riquelme. I don't know if it's clever or it, he's just, you know, a figure to get gain some votes. And I really don't know that, that part of the equation uh, because I'm not in the mundo foca. Um, but that, that's my two cents. I think players doesn't have to play they are allowed to train, obviously, because they are paid to train. They're paid to, to, to be in the training ground. But not allowing to play, it's part of... It's the first step. And all the good things that some clubs are doing, like Lanús, uh, like Newells, uh, to create a, 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 a department of... of um, well, well, to help the women made, in, uh, in the, the football. Vélez did, yeah, that's... To to well to cast uh, Ricardo Centurion aside because of his allegations. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, but anyway, it's a step forward because you can also be reflective of your own mistakes. Yeah. And I think that they're trying to be more important, and it's really good to to show that that steps forward towards a more inclusive and 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 more um, responsible way to. Handle. I'm not sure what. Uh just happened to turn his connection there, but I think we can all, uh, broadly speaking, say that we agree with, with what he was saying. Um, yes. On that note, that. <laughs> yeah, no, no it, it happens, we're recording on Zoom. Uh, on that note, though, we'll, we'll move on. I'll just run down the standings of the groups really quickly, uh, and then we will go to a break. Uh, Atletico Tucumán, Union Arsenal, Racing, I've already given you their standings in Group 1. In Group 2, uh, Colón have four points, Independiente have four points, Central Córdoba and Defensa Justicia have one each. Group 3, Banfield have six, Central have three, River have three, Godoy Cruz have none. In Group 4, Boca have six, Tacheres four, Lanús one and Newells none. In Group 5, it's San Lorenzo and Aldo Cibi, four each, and Argentinos and Estudiantes, one each. And in Group 6, Gimnasia and Huracán have four points each, Veres have two points, and Patronato have none. On that note, we will now take a half-time break, and when we come back, we will be talking about the national team, looking forward to the World Cup qualifiers that are coming up in the next few days. Don't go away.
Okay, welcome back. One of the advantages of being a Handapod Patreon supporter is that you get uh, some occasional Handapod Extra episodes, which are a bit of a preview of what you can expect a bit later. And they also go out of date almost before they're online. Um, this was very much the case for last week's Handapod Extra, where we discussed the likely makeup of the national team squad. And then a few hours after we had recorded, said national team squad was actually announced. Um, it was announced literally, as Santi pointed out on our WhatsApp group, at midnight, exactly, um, which gave me the uh, entertaining mental image of Gareth Southgate trying to announce an England squad after about 9pm at night and imagining what the response of British football journalists would be to that. Um, but uh, it was more or less as we expected it to be. Angel Di Maria is back to the pleasure of probably almost nobody listening. Um, and we're looking forward to two World Cup qualifiers, one at home to Paraguay this Thursday, and then one away to Peru next Tuesday. Uh, who wants to start off with some general thoughts about how these are going to go and what the squad's like and what the likely team is going to be? Well, first off, um, there have been some very high-profile um, casualties, I think, that, that would be a harsh name to, to, to call them, but um, a lot of injuries uh, in this in this Argentina squad. Um, Divala, for example, has, um, has not missed out, I think, on a very difficult to explain uh, reason. Apparently, some genital problems, which uh, haven't been specified, but one can only imagine what that means. Chlamydia? Uh, what? Chlamydia, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, chlamydia, gonorrhea, something, probably something like that, something related to, I mean, his, his, his personal relationship. If Paolo we... Dybala's lawyers are listening, we'd just like to mention <laughs> Santi and Dan are joking. <laughs> yeah, we don't it's... have enough information to, to assert, I think, what's the, the exact reason why Dybala is missing out, but it's still rather suspicious given the fact that Dybala has never quite um, clicked in the national team for one reason or another. Then um, Acuna is also another player who misses out uh, through injury. The, um, the inclusion of Joaquin Correa is also in doubt because um, he needs some permission from uh, the Italian government for Lazio to release him, uh, permission that has already been given to Lautaro Martinez and Martinez Cuarta, uh, luckily. And then Tagliafico is also in doubt because of a knock. So there are some uh, chances that, that Facundo Medina might start uh, on the left flank or um, a call-up that has been very long and eagerly awaited by almost everybody, which is probably the most promising Argentine defender in the world right now, Lisandro Martinez, who I hope will get some minutes uh, as well as Papu Gomez, who just at this point, I don't know why he, get, he keeps getting called up if he's just not going to play. Yeah, I've got a, a projected starting 11 uh, in front of me at the moment. This was published a few hours ago on Infobay. They reckon that the 11 is going to be something like Armani in goal, uh, Gonzalo Montiel, Nicolás Otamendi, Walter Kahneman and Nicolás Tagliafico across the back. But as Santi mentions, they do say that it will be Medina or Martinez if Tagliafico can't play. Leandro Paredes, Rodrigo de Paul and Ezequiel Palacios in the middle. 
and Lionel Messi, Lucas Ocampos and Lautaro Martinez up front with Papu Gomez therefore yet again just coming along for a jolly. Um, anybody else want to chime in with some thoughts? Martinez Cuarta apparently will arrive tomorrow, which is only one day before the match. Uh, if he arrives on time, uh, the, the, the idea is for Scaloni, I think, to, to uh, introduce him into the starting lineup, even when he will be almost uh, ar uh, arriving and playing. But uh, uh, he's a key member right now, and apparently he prefers to. Uh, be with Martin Squarta there uh, rather than, than Kahneman. Yeah, that's I, I suppose not too surprising if he's not been able to 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 train uh, for as long as the others uh, before the game. It still obviously means that Otamendi is um, continuing to play at the centre of the Argentine backline, but then. That's something that will probably be happening, as you say. If, if Martinez Cuarta were there, it would be likely to be Kahneman who would make way for him. Otamendi seems to be unshiftable um, in in that position. On the field too, to be fair. He doesn't move around a lot these days. Indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's difficulty shifting himself as well. Yeah, I mean, looking at the squad, you say, and that projected lineup is probably... You know, the best they can do in the circumstances, a lot of players dropping out, um, you know, travel being very difficult and whatnot. Um, I'm surprised, you know, not to see perhaps more more locally based players, um, just uh, for logistical purposes, if nothing else, you know, they get a little bit more time to train, um, possibly get, get here a bit fresher without that very uncomfortable um, trip across the Atlantic. Atlantic on their backs, but uh, I'd say, you know, that front three is, is pretty much undisputed at the moment. Um, Ocampos and, and Laudaro are both in very good form. They had an excellent couple of games uh, last month against, um, against Ecuador and Bolivia. And, and I hear that, I hear that, um, that Lionel chap isn't bad either. Um, you'd say Paredes and Depol are also automatic choices on on this team sheet and deservedly so. Um, so yeah, uh, about, about as good as Argentina can do under the circumstances. I'd, you know, I'd always like to see Acuna there because he's been a very good nick for Sevilla in, in recent matches, but you can't have everything, can you? And yeah, looking, looking promising the national team if they can keep more or less the, the core of players with, with which they seem to be playing most of their games, if they can keep, it, keep them together and, and keep them on the pitch, uh, it's definitely positive. Yeah, Dan just mentioned the relatively short number, uh, short list of uh, locally based players for these two squads. I think that probably the fact that there does, as we say, appear to be Copa de la Liga action this weekend might have something to do with that. But of course, one of the... Uh, consequences of that is that both River and Boca are going to have to play with second choice goalkeepers this weekend which could be entertaining uh, Franco Armani and Esteban Andrada are two of the local players called up and the other is Gonzalo Montiel they're the only ones I think I'm right in saying right yes uh, you are and it still boggles me to to know that um, Scaloni keeps taking four goalkeepers to two qualifiers at a time 
two of two of which are the Boca and River goalkeepers, which seems to be not much more of a con concession, you know, to keep fans quiet or in the media as well. Yeah, I mean, given that Armani appears to be his choice for starter, I assume that that's why Andrade's getting called up, as you say, because if he's not thinking of starting him, then how much value is there in taking him other than to, to keep Boca fans quiet? But I, I kind of feel a little bit sorry at this point for Emiliano Martinez, who keeps having to fly down here and probably should be in consideration for the number one shirt and yet isn't continually. Especially given the fact that uh, Armani will be 36 by the time Qatar 22 arrives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we know what anything... Um, has anybody done any research? I know that this is a very unhanded pod question to ask on Paraguay and Peru. Do we know what to expect? Or just can anybody remember what's happened a month ago? Um, Peru, of course, were involved in that cracking match against, Boliv uh, against Bolivia, against Brazil. Um, well, we but, saw uh, we saw an Oscar Romero masterclass at the weekend for San Lorenzo. Uh, fantastic little pass uh, through the middle to set up one of San Lorenzo's strikers, uh, Peralta Bauer, for the first goal. And then the other Romero twin, Ankin, scored their second goal. So they seem to be in fairly decent nick. Uh, Paraguay, what did they do? They drew against Peru in their first game and they squeaked past Venezuela in the second. I remember 1 0, very. Uh, even game, which is a bit more entertaining than, than that very um, very narrow scoreline would suggest. So, I well, they were nothing. Uh, they were nothing special. They were very. They they look like a like a more cohesive side. I think that in past qualifiers. Yes, um, that's the word, cohesive. Not very yeah, flashy, exactly. but they um, they seem very. You know, like like the best Paraguay teams, very strong at the back. Don't let many. Um, find their match in and, and just build from there, really. Exactly. And as of Peru, um, they actually, um, they're welcoming a new player to the squad, um, Italian striker Gianluca Lapadula, former Milan player now playing in Benevento. So, um, it, we're eager to see whether he starts, I think, in the, in the qualifiers. But the truth is, um, even despite um, not having a lot of new names as of late, uh, Peru still looked like a really, really solid attacking side. Rather shaky defensively, but it could cause a lot of danger, I think, if we if we are not in it. Yeah, that rings some bells, doesn't it? Peru versus Argentina could be every bit as entertaining as Peru versus Brazil was a month ago. They were probably the most entertaining team in the first round. They had that two or draw against Paraguay, and then, yeah, the fantastic 4-2 ding-dong against uh, Brazil. So... Yeah, I think we can expect a lot from that game as, as Sam says. Uh, Peru will also be coming into it. Uh, on, on, so, on, on, as I say, Argentina play away to Peru on Tuesday and Peru's first match of this doubleheader is away to Chile. Um, so that could be another one to watch because Chile themselves were not bad in the, in the first doubleheader. I mean, they had that unfortunate 2-1 away loss to Uruguay and then um, the firework-heavy 2-2 draw uh, at home to Colombia with Radamel Falcao Garcia equalising in stoppage time after Chile had been ahead for pretty much the whole, well, certainly for literally the whole second half, in fact, because uh, they were 2-1 up at the break. Um, so, yeah, the, Peru versus Argentina should be a good game. Argentina versus Paraguay hopefully will be a um, watchable game, let's say. I think that Paraguay, 
can very very well as dan says uh, very organized and and can easily dig in and, and take something from that match if they're focused um, yeah you think a draw for them away to argentina would be a fantastic result given the four points they picked up in the first on the first uh, international week uh, let's just hope they don't do an alfado and and park the and park the comic because that could make for a very turgid game given how argentina are attacking recently against Things that just set out there still. So. Just hope the Coletillo is part after we score the first goal, just like Alfaro did, not before. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Anybody want to have a go at predicting some results? I'm going to go for... I reckon the Paraguay game is going to be very tough. I'm going to say 1-0 to Argentina, uh, repeating the Ecuador score. And in Peru, they're going to draw 1-0. Andres, any thoughts? Uh, I will repeat the results of Dan, but uh, with a two-two draw against Peru. Uh, I can hear an ambulance. I'm not sure whether it's on Andres's microphone or mine, but if it's on mine, I, I apologise. Apparently, it's here, so I'm going to have to. Uh, you'll have to just put up with it. Uh, Santi. Yeah. Um, well, I, I acknowledge that this is more of your thing. Uh, <laughs> I would say Argentina. Are gonna win to one against Paraguay, and then they're gonna draw two two against Peru. Tony, um, I agree on the win and the draw, but I think it's gonna be a two one here and a one one in Peru. Oh, okay, I'm gonna dissent slightly. I, I think the draw is going to be at home to Paraguay. I'm gonna go for one one. Um, against Paraguay and then I'll go for it'll probably end up I, I suspect it'll end up being higher scoring than this but I'll go for 2-1 to Argentina um, in Lima we will have to wait and see as I say while that's all going on we, we will be playing in Lima after all which is while, while not La Paz it's still a rather tricky uh, destination for Argentina historically yes indeed yeah obviously the altitude in, in spite of uh, Dan's uh, claim in one of the more famous Hand of Pod gaffes um, is not going to be an issue. <laughs> Every <laughs> but, uh, fucking time we play for But it is always, it is always a difficult uh, place for Argentina to go. Um, the last time was a 1-1 uh, draw with Wayne uh, scoring, or I, am I wrong? Rings a bell. Let's see whether I can work out how to get the head-to-head record up on this app, and we'll uh, have a look. We have some matches. That just shows us. Uh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, the last time that they played in Lima was 2 2. 6th of October 2016. Um, Christian Cueva got an equaliser with a penalty with six minutes to go after Higuaín had put them 2 1 up. Uh, Ramiro Funes Mori scored the opener in that one. Um, but then, yeah, prior to that, there's a run of Argentina getting wins at home and draws away. Argentina's last win away to Peru was 4th of September 2004, um, which was a 3-1 away win with... Oh, it's not showing me the scorers. That's a shame. That's even earlier than the last win in in La Paz. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Although it would be the same World Cup qualifying campaign, I believe. Uh, yes, if I've worked yes, that out properly. Which, is a, which was a quite positive one, I think. 
Yeah, as we've said, um, there are going to be Copa de la Liga matches taking place this weekend, and I will get on to predicting those in a few minutes with Mystic Sam. But first of all, we will run through our listeners' questions for this 10th anniversary episode. Uh, Phil says, holy shit, 10 years, favourite landmark and or episode? This is something that I had asked you all to prepare something uh, for it doesn't have to be your favourite hand of pod memory necessarily, but your favourite memory of Argentine football over the last 10 years. In my case, it won't be very surprising. It's quite obvious that having won two Copa Libertadores while recording hand of pod, uh, that uh, events were, the, the, of course, favourites for me. I don't remember a thing about what I have said after winning those at Hand of Pod. Don't remember if I was drunk or what, but uh, <laughs> but of course were, were the two most memorable uh, things I, I I lived when I, while I was at Hand of Pod. Of course, the 2018 even better uh, because of the particular uh, uh, things that happened uh, uh, playing at Madrid and, and all that stuff. But yes, of course. Uh, being a river supporter couldn't say anything different. Santi, can, can you even remember Argentine football ten years ago, Santi? You're so young. <laughs> My God. Um, yeah, to be honest, uh, I don't know where exactly uh, to begin because, well, you know, I have been on this podcast for a very, very short period of time. Uh, but I've only joined on February, March, maybe. But, um, yeah, I mean, if I had to select a, a moment in Argentine football in the last 10 years, I mean, it would be easy, I think, to go for maybe both of Independiente's wins in the Copa Sudamericana in 2010 and 2017. But I wanted to go for something more colorful, let's say. And uh, I, I, it just came to my mind when when this question was first uh, asked, uh, of the time when um, Racing had a pretty good team, admittedly, they had a, a pretty good team, and one of the linchpins of that team was Sebastian Saka, who was um, about to break um, a clean sheet record, I think, uh, of, I don't know how many minutes he had, um, he had uh spent on the Racing goal without conceding. Oh, he was like 24 minutes away from the record or something, wasn't he? Yeah. No, I think 24 seconds, in fact. I mean, the, there were some, um, well, the, the, the publicity um, the, the publicity ad boards announced that Saka broke the record 24 seconds before he did. And just after those ad boards appeared and congratulated Saka, he made an absolute blunder and conceded a goal that stripped him from that record like 20 or 15 seconds before he he made he he achieved it which i mean not uh, firstly i'm very sorry i'm very sorry to Danford to to ignite this memory but i just found it like so random and so brilliantly argentine for a record to to be scrapped because of some something like that. I, I I just find it very very funny. And I think there was a, the commentator you know, saying saying, "Oh, Saka is about to break the record." And well, uh, finally he didn't. Do, yeah, do, you, do you remember who scored? 
Um, was it uh, the Union player? No, he was at Chelsea. He was at Rosario Central. Oh, well, there you go. Dan's not that angry about it. <laughs> no, but I'm just going to say, Santi, I was going to be all kind and polite about this, but <laughs> you've taken the gloves off, so... I'll just dive in, I think. Um, I knew, oh, mate. Doug, oh. you're on great here, mate. Look, I'm sorry. Um, no, you know, I've been with this pod from the very start. Um, remember the, the first episode like it was yesterday. Um, and many, many happy memories, both in the recording studio, you know, between inverted commas and out of it, um, kind of in a footballing sense. I've had, you know, two titles with uh, following Racing, which I've both seen um, there live in the stadium. I also saw Racing uh, hold a wake for, um, for Independiente, the famous funeral when they went down to the Bear, which was just fantastic. Uh, I got to follow the 2014 World Cup, the trip to the final, you know, as part of um, the Buenos Aires Herald slash... Ambito Financiero newsroom, which was just brilliant, like following up with all the all my colleagues and you know hanging on every game in a completely non-objective, uh, non-journalistic kind of manner. Um, we had the 38-38 drawing in the AFRA after that, which was which was a high point for me and just you know what the fuck is going on? Uh, that was that was just marvelous to watch. Uh, so many just ridiculous random moments. Um, when it comes to the pod, I remember the specials we did all the way back in 2011 or so um, uh, when we had Tim Vickery down and we all got pissed on, on Grappa and, and put out a ridiculously long podcast of about three hours, I think, which, which was awful fun. Very, very fun to do. Um, also, um, talking about one of our fallen... Colleagues, uh, Dan Colisamani, you might know him as Aussie Dan. I got to follow um, a Copa America with him back in 2011. We went around the country watching Argentina stall and, and stutter to a quarterfinal finish, but that was an extremely fun trip. Love you, Dan. Uh, so, just so many very happy memories over these last 10 years. It's, uh, it's been uh, quite a wild ride. Tony? Um, I will, will. I have a couple. I am on a general note. I think that reaching the World Cup final uh, for Argentina is probably one of the biggest notes on the decade. Um, the madness of the 30 uh, tournament, uh, team tournament with Crucero del Norte being part of, of it was really weird. Um, what else? Uh, it's it's really. I mean, I try I try to think the achievement of the teams from the from the interior, and some of them got really good uh, performances, uh, like Colón uh, getting to the Copa Sudamericana final. Um, I think those those moments are more um, valuable for me from the standpoint of how defines Argentine football, rather than I don't know River winning the Libertadores again. Or Boca winning Libertadores again. Um, yeah, I think those those are the the. the and then every time a, a a dog gets into a full pitch, that brings me joy. So yeah. 
Mine uh, would be, as you say, Tony, in the 2014 World Cup was, um, I remember not living with my girlfriend at that point, but going around to her place to watch the final and being on the subte with a busker who was performing Brasil Decime Que Se Siente and the whole carriage singing along, um, which was quite surreal and joyful before the sorrow of what actually ended up happening in the final. Uh, domestically, still just a couple of months into my stay, seeing Argentinos win the 2010 Clausura with that, sorry, Santi, but with that incredible 4-3 win um, at home to Independiente when Argentinos scored twice in stoppage time to go top of the table for the first time all season. And then the following week, the final weekend of the season, going away to Huracan and getting the result that they needed to lift their first trophy in a good long while. Um, and I was lucky enough to be at both of those games. So that was a, a fine introduction uh, with long-time Hand of Pod listener, Johnny, um, to, uh, to life in Argentina. That was wonderful. Um, and then, yeah, for the podcast, just uh, all of it, really. Uh, meeting all of you people who are recording with us and everybody in the Hand of Pod WhatsApp group as well. I mean, I would have met some of you if it weren't for the podcast, but I wouldn't uh, have the friendships that I do with you all. So... Very nice. And also meeting all of our listeners as well. Whenever any of you come down to Buenos Aires and get in touch with me, I always like to meet up with anybody who fancies buying me a drink. So if you are going to be coming down, once we're back to the new normal and everybody's been vaccinated, um, do let me know because it's always a pleasure to see everybody. Uh, Darren Paul, moving on to the next listener's question because that is what we're doing, says, congrats on 10 years, lads. Thank you very much, Darren. Thanks for the hours of entertainment, information and for introducing me to the football team I love. Vamos Racing, vamos Hand of Pod. Cheers, Darren. Um, G. Ruchesco says, having taken up the challenge of dredging your archive during lockdown, that must have taken some time. Bloody hell. I, I, I was going to try to do some statistics of how many hours of content we've put online uh, in the last 10 years. And I, well, I, maybe I'll, I'll do that rundown through SoundCloud uh, for next week. Um, but he says, how did co-host Zombies contributions never get a Blue Peter comparison? Um, Dan's the only other person who has a clue what zombie is yes uh, zombie was my dog or my my flatmate dog at least uh, when we first started recording the pod in um, in our first location our first studio in Cabochita he was he still is in fact I'm happy to say a half dog or half Dalmatian which if you know dogs at all um You'll know that that's a fairly boisterous mix, <laughs> to say uh, the least. And he was a regular visitor to our podcast, even when I shut the door, so he can get so he can get in. Um, and yes, I I miss him a lot when when he left. I mean, now I I have a baby, which is similar, um, but but not quite the same, of course. Noisier, um, hmm? noisier, certainly. Possibly noisier, but less mobile. That's pro- that's what how I'd uh, sum it up at the moment. Yeah. Um, going back to the question, the reason we never did a Blue Pizza comparison is that out of the the guys who really who first started doing the podcast, I mean, me and Sam had a clue what Blue Peter was, and I don't think it was the first thing on our mind back then. So that's probably why it slipped us, slipped past us. Would you agree, Indeed. Sam? Yeah, I, I, broadly speaking, I would. Uh, it is a shame that we haven't been able to record with 
zombie or, or the other one? What was the other dog called then? Uh, Nesta. Nestor, of course. Nesta. Nesta. that one, Nesta. yes. After Bob Marley. Um, yes. Nacho Tierno says, Felicitaciones muchachos. Thank you very much, Nacho. A bit of analysis on Enzo Perez being deployed as centre-back. Has Gachardo lost it? Andres, I think this is one for you to field. Well, yes. I, I just read, um, wrote last night uh, that maybe Suculini could be there as a first centre-back as uh, as we know, Pablo Diaz and Robert Rojas will be out on duty on the qualifiers. Uh, and the other options were Augusto Aguirre as a debutant. And the other, which was not uh, uh, even uh, thought by anyone, was, is this one that the, the, the listener is, is asking for, which is Enzo Perez as a, uh, uh, playing in that, uh, in that uh, position. But it was only a practice, a, a training session, in which uh, Gallardo uh, tried to just try him there, but uh, nothing is uh, totally decided yet. So, uh, but I think the 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 number the name for that uh, for the first centre back will be or Augusto Aguirre, the the kid who is called to be uh, the next Martinez Cuarta. Of course, we don't know because he hasn't uh, uh, made his debut yet. Or, or those other options. Suculin has already played. They are in the first uh, match of the uh, group stage for Copa Libertadores against Liga in Quito, where River played uh, last 3 0. Uh, and Enzo Perez hasn't played there. So that, those are the options so mm. far. Thanks, Andres. Uh, Jamie has two questions. One of them I think we've already answered, but uh, here we go. He says, Congrats, Sam, and all at hand a pod. Here's to the next 10. Cheers, Jamie. I started saying this, I think, on our fifth anniversary or so, but. Uh, and it's always in the form of, I'd be very surprised if we're still around in another, but this time I really would be staggered if Underpod uh, is still around in 10 years' time. Uh, but anyway, thank you very much. Uh, he says, with that in mind, what's your favourite football moment in Argentine football since the pod was founded? I think we've covered that already. But he then has a very good question, which is, who is your favourite player in the domestic league of the last 10 years? Three Don't words. rush at once. I was waiting for someone. I think we we're all too polite to jump in, so I'll do it since I'm, I'm here. Uh, it's got to be Diego Melita. Can, can I, can I jump in? Of course, can I jump in? Yeah. Three words. Luis Miguel Rodriguez. Oh, that's Great a strong bit. Great yeah. shout! Yeah. Certainly the neutral choice. Yes. Andres. Well, I was thinking not only about the best, but also the funnier, the funniest, uh, and I will say Ivan Pichil. Oh God, uh, that's that's a memory that none of us uh, yes. want dredging back up. The moment that we all, where were you when you first got told to Google image Ivan Pichil that day? By not Sarah, even, not even Darren dare to give that answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tony, any thoughts? Mm. Did I? And I'm again. saying as a doubt, uh, Quintero. Yeah, Maybe. I was going to say that the star that burns brightest burns shortest for me. Uh, Quintero's peak was depressingly short for River, but what a peak it was. Um, I remember when River signed him and I hadn't really sort of I vaguely, vaguely remember him playing for Dimi in the Libertadores, but not really uh, to any great detail. And Tim Vickery. I can't remember whether he tweeted me or, or direct messaged me on Twitter, but he just said, you are going to absolutely love this guy. 
Um, and sure enough, I did. Uh, just fantastic. It, it, it was great. Um, S Perfect Tommy says, congratulations, here's to another decade. I've already replied to that one. I've only been listening for about two years, but it's something that brings me great joy with every episode. What are some memorable moments slash episodes from the past 10 years? Uh, Dan mentioned the special that we recorded with Mr. Vickery. We've done a couple more of those, at least one more of those um, since then. But the, the very first one was, if I remember rightly, about episode 27 or something like that. And that was the episode in which we were after interviewing other people via Skype, uh, other experts on other South American national teams around the continent, um, we did the Brazil episode ahead of the 2011 Copa America. And we also covered River Plate getting relegated, Vélez winning the title, and Martin Palermo's final match at Boca Juniors, at which Martin Palermo, of course, was memorably presented with the goalposts from the stadium. Um, that although it was very, very early on in our existence, it probably remains one of the, the highlights, um, to be honest. Yes, absolutely. Uh, very good fun. And that was the last question. So thank you very much indeed for all of your questions and again, for all of your support. And if you're a Patreon supporter, then you can look forward on... Oh. Yes, Tony. Um, before we move on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to... Uh, add uh, two things quickly. Uh, the episode where Jonathan Wilson was here and we recorded with him was really good uh, for me because I read his books, especially Birds in the Pyramid. So it was like interesting. Uh, I think it was one of the highlights for me being here on the podcast. And I want to personally thank Tommy because we were talking a lot lately and he will probably see me if I ended up in Houston at some point next year. So thanks to Tommy particularly. Thanks for that, Tony. Uh, yeah, I, I should have mentioned Mr. Wilson as well. Uh, he's been on several times. Uh, every, every time he's down here, uh, we, we try and get him on. Um, so I, I think that all, all, all of the episodes in which there were special guests were special episodes. So I, I wouldn't stick to anyone but, but with everyone, every, every episode in which there was a, a Jonathan Wilson, Tim Vickery, or, or, or I will, of, of course, uh, uh, forget about, uh, sorry, um, uh, I, I, will, I will not remember every, every of them, but uh, I think uh, uh, in these seven years I, I, I have been in the podcast, there were a lot of them, and uh, it's impossible to, to mention only one. Yeah, we're quite lucky. I think plying, plying people with alcohol tends to uh, be a good way of convincing them to come on. Uh, I have just been actually j just reminded of, uh, of one very interesting one, even though it's a name that uh, most of our listeners will be much less familiar with. Uh, but during the 2014 World Cup, uh, right before, I think, it, I think it was before the semi-final, um, we had the episode, which was also a few days after Alfredo Di Stefano died, um, and our friend Esteban Beckerman uh, agreed really last minute. I, I was doing a, um, a course that he was running on, on football history at the time, a few blocks away from where we were recording uh, that evening and mentioned it to him on the way out and asked whether he'd like to come along. And he said, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and he gave us an absolutely fascinating chat on Di Stefano's place in Argentine football history as well. So that's going to be from 
one of the episodes from June, June or July 2014. So um, if you go onto the Hand of Plod blog, you can search by date. And if you have a look at that one, uh, it, that was a really, really interesting one for, for me to record, certainly. Um, anyway, for now, as I was uh, about to say, our Patreon supporters will be getting an extra special proper 10th anniversary um, uh, edition on patreon.com slash handapod and it will not be on saturday as i said earlier but it will be on I'll, I'll post it online probably really late friday night or early saturday morning to actually coincide with the 10th anniversary because having said at the start of the episode that saturday was the 10th anniversary i've now looked at my calendar and realized that friday is the anniversary of our first recording and saturday is the anniversary of it going online so at any rate we dan and i will be recording with our mystery guest on thursday evening ahead of the argentina game um, all I'll say is it. that it will probably be a good day. Wouldn't you agree, sir? Indeed, yes. I, I would say that, Dan. Um, we, we will now finish off with Mystic Sam's predictions for the weekend to come, uh, hoping that my app isn't lying to me about these matches actually taking place this weekend, by the way. Uh, if it is, then, then they're leaving it... Itself, right? uh, will the games be played? Indeed, yeah. I mean... If, if they are mistaken and they're taking their time correcting it and they've got all the kickoff times in already. Uh, so here we go. Mystic Sam's theme music is coming up. The fixtures this weekend. Fingers crossed this weekend. Ah, Rosario Central against Banfield. Um, should be good. I'm going to go for Banfield to snatch an away win there. And Atletico Tucumán versus Union de Santa Fe. I think will be a draw. Those are both on Friday night. On Saturday, Aldo Civi hosts San Lorenzo and I expect San Lorenzo to win that one. Lanús versus Newell's Old Boys. I think will be a Lanús win. Racing versus Arsenal de Sarandí. I think Racing will finally uh, get three points on the board in that one. And Godoy Cruz against River. I expect River to scrape a win. As Andres says, they looked a little bit out of sorts at the back, but I, I think they'll do enough to win there. Mendoza tends to be a happy hunting ground for them, of course. Um, on Sunday, Huracán versus Gimnasia. That's oh, a 2 p.m. kickoff. There's no 11 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. How wonderful. Huracan um, versus Gimnasia, I think, will be a draw. Estudiantes versus Argentinos, I expect to be an Estudiantes win. Defensa y Justicia versus Independiente. Um, I'm going for a Defensa y Justicia win, but I don't think there's going to be a hell of a lot in that one, to be honest. Boca versus Tacheres ought to be a Boca win. And on Monday, two matches. Vélez versus Patronato should be a Vélez win. And Colón versus Central Córdoba. I'll go for a draw in that one, I think. Do any of those stand out to you, gents, as particularly good games to break up the internationals with? All I'll say is that last week um, I scoffed when you predicted an Union win against Racing, but you proved me wrong, so I have no doubt at all that you will get however many matches there are out of how many matches there are this week uh, all faith in you sir. thank you very much Dan I have to admit I haven't been keeping count of how many I've got right and wrong <laughs> at all uh, that's the best way to do it I think yeah, Dan, we'll, have to, 
we have to mention that uh, we will have to see what happens with uh, Maradona, as, as Santi has shared uh, the news before that the president has resigned, the president of Gimnasia. Yes, uh, well, so it's the man who brought Maradona in, of course, plus Maradona not being in particularly good health. Uh, let's forget that he had a very uh, significant role in, in fact, uh, um, keeping Maradona at the club because um, I think it was early this year that uh, Maradona initially resigned because of the elections that were about to take place uh, in Gimnasia. And he only decided to stay uh, by... Um, actually agreeing not to hold any elections and keeping uh, Pellegrino in charge. So now that Pellegrino is gone and Maradona has this health problems, I think the writing's a bit on the wall, isn't it? Yeah, well remembered, Santi. Um, as soon as you started to describe that situation, I remembered that it had happened. But until you did, I'd completely uh, forgotten about it. Um, yeah, um, we, we'll, have to see. we'll have to see whether Maradona's healthy enough to continue managing as well indeed, after yeah. his recent hospital visit. Uh, Dan, I believe you were going to say something. I just said we've had one question sneak in right at the bell. I don't know if you Ooh, want to take on, it. It's our 10th birthday. I'm feeling generous. You want me to read it since I've got it up? Go for it. I never get to read these questions. It's quite exciting. <laughs> um, it's from John Ewan, long-time friend of the podcast. Oh, we've just got another one in too. Uh-oh. What have we got down the rabbit hole here. Uh, he says, congratulations on your first decade. Which episode had the largest quantity of Fenet Branca consumed during recording? Very good question. Well, that's, that's a tricky one because we don't always drink that exact brand, in fact. Well, um, let's say Fenet in, in general. Sir, it, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the first couple of years of recording, uh, we used to get really rat ass. We're quite moderate now in comparison, right? Yeah, indeed. I, I, in fact, I remember our very first uh, recording session um turning up with i mean you were providing the microphone and and the place to record and i'd said look i'll i'll edit it all and find somewhere to to upload it and so uh aussie dan had taken it upon himself in i think we've arranged to record at like three o'clock in the afternoon or something um and oh, he turned up with a bottle of fernet and said well you know you guys are providing stuff so i thought i'd better buy buy the drinks um and i uh got with both of you and, and with your flatmates and uh, the other special guests who you organised for us down as well. We all got fairly sozzled and then I got on a bus and uh, went to meet a young lady for a date who I'm still with now and that was my first date and she was not very impressed that I turned up after several furnettes. <laughs> uh, she's trying no, I... not to smirk at me now as I describe <laughs> the situation. I definitely remember in the early days several podcasts which just degenerated in the second half because we were fucked. Yeah. It was a fairly commonplace um, occurrence. But now, the, you know, we're all older and wiser, possibly. Uh, do you want to read the other remaining question, Dan, or shall I take, do the honours? Uh, let me do another one. Um, I quite enjoyed sure. that. Go for it. You've I got think a it's taste one we've it. already answered, at least. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, it's from Little Bird. And he says, congratulations on the second digit. Thank you, Little Bird. Now... With reports of Enzo Perez slutting in for Diaz slash Rojas next match, do you think he'll do better than Ponzi or Smell, Spell doing the same thing? My immediate thought is that he can't be any worse. I mean, he is, if nothing else, <laughs> slightly more mobile. But I don't know what Andres thinks. Yes, it, that Ponzi experiment was not very good. But 
Uh, I would say that uh, the key Aguirre will be as they are as even when he's a debutant, he's a center back. So uh, this and so thing is more uh, is more an emergency thing than something sure to happen. Indeed. And on that note, we really are done. Thank you very much for supporting us and for listening to us for the last 10 years. And here's to another indeterminate number of years. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed it. We hope that you've enjoyed this very long episode as well, but I think that the uh, anniversary justifies that as well as the fact that we have so much football to talk about in this one. Um, if you're a Patreon supporter, then uh, you'll be waiting until Friday, Saturday, as I say, for the Handlepod Extra this week, but I hope very much that you will enjoy it when it does go online. If you're not a Patreon supporter, get over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Handlepod and become one. Uh, you too can get lots and lots of extra Handapod content. But as I always say, please don't let that put you off uh, doing so. Um, for now then, ladies and gents, it's thanks and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From English Dan. Goodbye. Thanks for putting up for us for the last 10 years. It's uh, been a pleasure. From Tony. Thank you. Goodbye. From Santi. Thank you, guys. I've only been uh, in this podcast for less than a year, but I hope I can I can keep uh, contributing and also maybe even participating in some of your specials in the future. Oh, yes. Don't worry about that. And from me, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>